Good morning, Redeemer. Today's scripture reading is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 6. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father we are grateful. For the gift of your holy word. And we are grateful for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And as this scripture testifies to us this morning. When we are able to gather in this place. And look into your word and behold Jesus. We are not simply made gradually better people. We are made new people. We are a transformed people. Being Shaped from one degree of glory to another by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, so I pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive and present in this place. That he would apply to us the ministry of his redemption. Lord, that we would not only learn more about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would experience the power of his person. We pray this for the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can have your seat. Today we are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. It's a huge doctrine. We're talking about one of the divine persons of the Trinity after all. However, this doctrine, although it is important, it's oftentimes, I think, very abused and mishandled in the church. It seems like there are two roads that we can go down. We can go down the road where the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is either taught or experienced in a way that is abusive or used, it's a way that's confusing, unbiblical, messy, and weird. Or else, the other side of the, the, the trough, the, the idea where the Holy Spirit is something that we're not comfortable with, so we minimize it, we reduce it, we sanitize it to be something that's inside of our control and inside of our comprehension. But nevertheless, the, the Holy Spirit is God himself. He, he is An active part of what it means to be a Christian. He is the helper that Jesus Christ sent to us. Jesus said that it was better for him to actually go away. To ascend to his father in heaven. So that we might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so if that is true. That means we must come to know and understand what this gift actually is. So what we're going to do in the course of this series. Is we're going to talk about things that are oftentimes, in my experience at least avoided in church. We're going to talk about the person of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit. We're even going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit has moved throughout redemptive history. We're going to engage topics like prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. But as we do that, we're going to do that in a deeply, biblically saturated way. 
We don't believe in pitting the Holy Spirit against the Word of God. And we don't believe in pitting the Word of God against the Holy Spirit. The Word of God was written by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God testifies to the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going to honor God the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be ashamed of Him. We're not going to try to back Him into a corner lest He embarrass us. But likewise, we're going to honor the Word of God. The very words that He has breathed as our source of foundational truth and authority. In the last few weeks, we have talked about how the Holy Spirit cultivates a culture within the church. We've talked about spiritual revival and how that operates, how that moves. And today, we're specifically going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in relation to His position within the Divine Trinity. How He ministers out of that to the church and to individuals. We're going to talk about the Spirit and redemption. Now, I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of a forewarning. Today's talk is going to be a little bit more theological. It's going to be... Something where we have to engage deep ideas like the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of salvation. And and these are deep, mysterious ideas that are going to stretch us. And sometimes theology can be a bad word in the church. A word that's looked down upon. However, theology is simply what we believe about God. And I want to tell you, whether you're a Christian or not, what you believe about God is the most important belief that you have. So it's important to to believe theology as the Bible would teach us. It's important to to understand who the Holy Spirit is in context of what his word actually says. And the very first thing that I want to call your attention to is the very first clause of today's text. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. The, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is not simply... A gift from God. He is not simply a force that comes out of God. Rather, he is God. He is God himself. And he is worthy of our worship and devotion. God the Holy Spirit exists alongside God the Father and God the Son. As the Holy Trinity. The God worthy of our worship. The God worthy of our adoration. One God in three persons. Now that idea of the Trinity. is not really easy to get our heads wrapped around. Better minds than me have tried. Augustine himself said that if you try to understand this, you might even go crazy trying to understand how big the concept of the Trinity is. However, this notion of one God in three persons is absolutely essential. It is core. It is foundational to the Christian faith. And it has been throughout the centuries. This is a definition of the Trinity that comes from one of the ancient creeds, the Athanasian Creed. Now this is the Christian faith. That we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another. And that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty eternal. God the Holy Spirit is co-equal, co-eternal with the other members of the Trinity. He is not JV God. He's not playing on the junior varsity squad as divinity. He is completely God. However, these different members of the Trinity, these different personalities within the Trinity, do play various functions in their ministry of redemption. This is actually one of the ways that theologians have tried to understand the difference between the different members of the Trinity is by looking at the role that they play in the ministry of redemption. The big theological term for this is the economy of redemption. The best way to think about it, though, is... That God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son are all working together for an aim, an objective. But they're doing so functioning in different ways. 
So an example of this would be team sports, right? You have something like football to where you're going to have this team that is aiming towards this objective. That objective is to score touchdowns and hopefully win football games. Every now and then, the Dallas Cowboys might put that together and make that happen. No promises. But you'll have different roles. You'll have the quarterback. His job is to, to pass the ball, to take the snap. You'll have the runner back. That is the purpose of his job is to simply run the ball down the field and score touchdowns. You have the lineman whose job is to block and to make a path for the play to happen. They all have different functions. They all have different roles, but they're all working together for the same objective. And this is how the Trinity works. The goal is redemption. The miracle, the divine miracle that they are able to create together is the miracle of redemption. However, they they operate differently. In general terms, God the Father is the one who authors redemption. He's able to providentially govern history and time itself and nations to be able to bring about his redemptive purposes in the earth. That although his good creation was fractured and stained by our sin, that he initiated a rescue operation to to send redemption into the world. That he is going to bring that about and that his kingdom is going to come. It will not fail. But while the father authors redemption, it's the son who accomplishes redemption. Jesus Christ is God who was sent forth to live the life that we should have lived but never could have lived. Jesus Christ was sent to die the death that we deserved. Jesus Christ was sent to overcome death by his resurrection. And because of this, he's accomplished redemption. While the Father authors, the Son accomplishes. It is the Holy Spirit who applies redemption to us. He's the one who takes the benefits of Christ and makes them a reality, an experienced reality for the believer. His ministry of redemption is a ministry of application. And I believe here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 6, is probably the clearest example in the Bible of how that ministry occurs in the life of the believer. And there are three things that I want you to see about this. That when the Holy Spirit applies redemption, he's doing three things. The Holy Spirit saves, the Holy Spirit sanctifies, and the Holy Spirit sins. He saves, sanctifies, and sins. Let's take number one, um, that the Holy Spirit saves. We'll go to chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, two huge ideas that come out of this. Paul's giving us two truths. One, he's giving us something that is true about the gospel, as well as something that is true about us. The truth about the gospel is that if you want to know God, if you want to have union with God, if you want to have life in God, if you want to have salvation in God, then where are you to look other than Jesus? That in Jesus we have the face of God, that he is the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells. He is the imprint of his glory in nature. Jesus Christ, that salvation in the Christian religion is not about us with our ingenuity, our willpower, our intelligence, working our way up to salvation, up to heaven, but rather it is the announcement that heaven has come down in Jesus, that our salvation lies in us looking to Jesus, believing in Jesus, resting in Jesus, and worshiping Jesus. However, there's another truth in this passage. 
That is a truth about ourselves. And the truth about ourselves is that we don't want to worship God and we don't want to worship Jesus. We would much rather worship ourselves. And because of this, there is a veil that lies over the human heart. That veil is sin. That sin blinds us to the truth of the gospel. And you see, that's a, that's a pretty large problem because we can't overcome that in of our own strength. That is something that we don't have the resources to deal with by our own effort. But by grace alone, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to breathe on our dead hearts, to illuminate, to create, to save. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The one who removes the veil of sin over our sin-darkened hearts. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Paul's actually connecting to a pretty deep biblical metaphor there. He's evoking intentionally the imagery of Genesis chapter 1, where the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos, the formless, and the void of the cosmos. And it is that Spirit of God hovering over chaos that creates light and life. And the same Spirit that hovered over the chaos of creation now hovers over sin-deadened hearts. And He's going to create life. He's going to create liberty. He is going to shine light onto our darkened hearts. This is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Now, how are we to respond to that? That's amazing. When we cannot save ourselves, it is the Holy Spirit who saves us, who summons us, who calls us to salvation. That we may have faith and repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. We respond the only way we can to amazing grace. And that is we are grateful. We're grateful to the God who saves us when we cannot save ourselves. So I challenge you. If you're a Christian, if you've been saved and redeemed by the Holy Spirit, how are you seeking to cultivate a spirituality of gratitude as opposed to a spirituality of entitlement? Do you pray? And when you pray, do you pray prayers of thanksgiving? It's a habit that I'm trying to train myself and I'm even trying to train my little son Solomon in is is to thank Jesus for salvation. To thank him for what he's done. To thank him for what he's accomplished. That when we gather here and we sing songs of praise and worship, are, are we simply going through the motions? Are we singing with our heart? Thank you, thank you, thank you that you saved me. Do we cultivate a, a spirituality of gratitude when we hold the elements in our hands? Do we say, God, thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your redemption. Because it is the Holy Spirit who gives life and light. It is the Holy Spirit who saves. Point number two, it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies. Look at verse 18 of chapter 3. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is a fascinating claim about the uniqueness of Christianity. See, God sent Jesus to die on a cross, not so that he could make bad people slightly better. He sent Jesus to die on a cross so that he could make dead people alive. 
He doesn't just want to make us slightly more moral people. He wants to transform us. He wants to make us radically new people. Christianity is a religion of transformation. It is a religion of change. Because of that, that means there's hope for us. It means you don't have to be defined by your past or your sin. That the Holy Spirit can, that the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit promises to change you. But how does this change come about? Does it come from us simply just trying harder in Jesus' name? Does it come from us simply looking to Jesus as our moral example or inspiration? No. It comes from the Holy Spirit. That whenever we look to Jesus, he molds us, he shapes us, he transforms us from one degree of glory to another. On a practical level, this means that when we read the Bible... We are to read it with expectation, not only to learn spiritual truth, but to encounter Jesus as a person that the Holy Spirit might mold us and shape us. That when we sit under the preaching of God's word, that we open our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, change me, transform me. That even when we seek to serve those who are in need and we live on mission together, that we're doing that in a way that we are able to encounter the person and the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit changes us. And he does this by us beholding Jesus. Essentially, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to apply the gospel and its various aspects to our heart. And so it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that allows us to understand and experience our justification. That if you're a Christian, you are no longer defined by your sin, but you have been made righteous in Christ. That you are forgiven. The Holy Spirit's the one that allows you to experience that. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that allows us to understand and to experience our adoption. That when God saves you, he doesn't just tolerate you from a distance. But rather, he brings you into his family and he calls you his child. You can come to him and pray to him as God, your father. It's the Holy Spirit that allows you to experience that. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to experience assurance. That if God sent Jesus, his own son, to die for us, That nothing in heaven or hell or on earth can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can know hope. We can know security. And as that truth is ministered to our hearts, it's not only something that begins to be contained in our mind. It's something that changes us and shapes us. It's something that molds us into the image of God. And there's actually a theological term for that. It's called sanctification. God the Holy Spirit working in and with and through us to make us look like Jesus. Now, that word sanctification, I think in the past, can come across as a a very depressing, dreary-sounding word. Like, well, that's an option, but if I'm saved by grace, ah, I, I don't need to worry about things like holiness and piety. But I promise you, sanctification is not simply an option that God has given you. It is the greatest call on your life. Have you ever wanted to know the will of God for your life? The Bible actually answers it rather clearly. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God 
who gives his Holy Spirit to you. When we are given the Holy Spirit, we are given a gift that changes us, that makes us new, that makes us holy. How are we posturing ourselves before the Lord to allow him to shape us, to mold us, to change us? How are we looking towards Jesus, beholding Jesus, that we might find our joy and our satisfaction in him? Because I tell you this, sanctification is not simply about us trying as hard as we can to avoid sin. Rather, it's about us finding joy, true joy that finds itself only in Christ Jesus. This is Dr. John Piper in his amazing book, Desiring God. He says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin in the long term than to gain a distaste for it. Because of a superior satisfaction in God. This comes from the Holy Spirit. To know satisfaction in Christ is to be sanctified by the Spirit. To be sanctified by the Spirit is to know satisfaction in Christ. Point number three. The Holy Spirit sins. Now there's a logic forming here. If the Holy Spirit saves and the Holy Spirit sanctifies, there there should be something that naturally flows from this. And that natural result is revealed in verse 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. That if the Holy Spirit saves us, if the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, therefore, we have a ministry. We are a sent people. That the Holy Spirit ministers to us so that he might minister through us. He is a missional spirit. We are a sent people. Sent by the Holy Spirit of God. Empowered by the Spirit of God. That's something we say often, that's actually one of the values of our church, is that we believe that ministry is not reserved to the elite class of the clergy, but rather the church as the people of God are intended to be a missional people, sent by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God to declare and display the gospel. But I think there's a pushback on that on a lot of us. That call scares us, and so we start making excuses and justifications for why that applies to other people but not us. You say, well, naturally I'm kind of shy. Or you might say, my life is a mess. I have no business ministering to anybody else. You might say, I'm a lot more comfortable with leaving that work to the professionals. But what does this ministry look like? How does the Bible frame it? Let's look back at chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. See, it's a ministry of hope. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning. Or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. And the sight of God. Later in verse 5. He says. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants. For Jesus sake. That when we minister. We're not ministering for our sake. We're not ministering to validate ourselves. But as in simply. Declaring with our words. And displaying with our lives. The simplicity of who Jesus is. That we don't have to perform. We don't have to have eloquent words. We don't have to have elaborate strategies or methodologies to manipulate people into salvation. We can simply present Jesus as he is. Talk about Jesus as he is. And seek to demonstrate the reality of his kingdom with our lives. And that through that, the Holy Spirit moves in marvelous and miraculous ways. That you have been called in the simplest things to partner with the Holy Spirit of God. So here's what this means. It means that when you're sitting in a community group and you simply begin to talk about Jesus. 
who he is to you, what he's done for you, how he's changed you, that those words go out and the Holy Spirit uses them to shape and to change people's lives. That when you step out of your comfort zone and you invite a neighbor that you know is unconnected to church so that he or she can experience the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed over them and to them, you're partnering with the Spirit of God that when you decide to adopt a child into your home, when you decide to, to serve your local churches, to support an international missions ministry, when you decide to go on a mission trip and build a house in Mexico for families that cannot afford a house, you're not just doing good things. You're not just walking in obedience. You are partnering with the Spirit of God and the most important event of all history, the very redemption of mankind. That's an amazing call. We've been given an amazing opportunity. We have been invited into something extraordinary. This is why we simply cannot afford to look at our Christianity as nothing more than eternal fire insurance. This is the very center of our life. This is the very reason you exist. The ministry of the gospel is a ministry of radical change, restoration, redemption. And to have a spirituality that's anything less is stunted and shallow. This is what the great C.S. Lewis says. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. The deepest parts of your heart, don't you yearn for that transformation? Don't you yearn to abide in union with the God of this universe? No, beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is freely offered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Redeemer, may we be a people that respond with gratitude to the spirit who saves us. May we be a people that respond with joy to the spirit who sanctifies us and shapes us. May we be a people that respond with faithfulness and obedience to the spirit who sends us. May we be a people redeemed by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, in this moment we are aware that the Holy Spirit only applies what Christ Jesus has accomplished. It is because Jesus entered into death and darkness that we may now have liberty and life in the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you sent Jesus to live the life we should have lived and die the death that we deserve. Thank you that his resurrection promises a hope of a kingdom that is coming. In this moment, we pray that your Holy Spirit would form us and shape us. That as we approach your table and partake in your Holy Supper, that we would be a people that this reality of the gospel would be so real to us. Lead us, Holy Spirit of God, to understand the reality of our need, but help us to know 
beyond a shadow of doubt and rest in the fact that that need has been met in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.